the DART mission was a big success and it was altering the asteroid's orbit. So it proves that humans can actually deflect asteroids and we can save humankind. Google CEO defending the desk sharing policy that they are introducing right now. And he talks about their offices are looking like ghost town. Elon Musk in his endeavor to save money is cutting bids wherever possible. Welcome to our weekly tech review where we explore the latest trends, news and updates from the world of technologies like VR, AR, blockchain, space technologies, AI, social media or consumer electronics. Whether you are a seasoned innovation engineer, engineer, <laughs> a seasoned innovation expert or just starting in tech, this podcast is the perfect source for staying up to date with the constantly changing world of technology. On camera three today, we have Vincent. On camera two, this is Henrike. On camera one, hi, I am Tarek. The Tech Review is a collaboration of Ideas Engineering, Free Tech Academy and Upbay. And you can watch all episodes on YouTube or you can listen to us on all major podcast platforms such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts while you work out, drive or maybe even travel through space. So let's jump directly to the news and today Henrike is going to start. What a surprise. And you mentioned space and now I'm back with the space article. I haven't had that in weeks, I feel. Um, so it's about time. Um, and it's it's a rather short notice, but we talked about the DART mission last year. So um, to have it full circle, I thought I'd bring this article from The Verge today um, because the... Um, what were they called? The John Hopkins Applied Physics Lab. They released a paper confirming that the DART mission, in fact, was a big success and it uh, was altering the asteroid's orbit. So it proves that humans can actually deflect asteroids and we can save humankind uh, from the dangers from space. So that's already basically the main message of this article. They uh, obviously also have a bit of a summary of what was this mission about, um, you know, crashing a spacecraft into an asteroid, simple as that. Um, and they concluded as well that the kinetic impactor technique used in the mission um, could be an effective mean of planetary defense, as they say it, and the um, the debris that was launched from you know from the impact point was actually more contributing to the momentum change than the impact itself. That was also kind of a new finding um, in, in that regard. But yeah, we can uh, save ourselves. But it's also mentioned that we need sufficient warning time, ideally decades in advance <laughs> <laughs> or at least several years uh, at a minimum so that we can really um you know get uh, get active and uh, and avoid it uh, but they also mentioned that as of now there is no known asteroid that is you know becoming a threat for the earth for at least the next century as so far we're as good we know. <laughs> we're good for now you know uh, as of now there's no danger but yeah yeah but this was exactly my first thought when you said that that this is a very bold statement from let's say a product manager right we now know that we can save the planet from killer asteroids but then there is 
this list of disclaimers and as long as we are warned decades in advance and then this the <laughs> mass thread fits exactly this um, predefined set <laughs> sizes and right exactly and uh, it, it only contains these materials and has exactly this in-flight vector but then <laughs> then we can save the planet <laughs> then we're good yeah <laughs> no and problem I mean, we at all we now have to make sure as well right that we um transfer this knowledge to other generations to come <laughs> <laughs> because if we do not need to become active then that it's nothing like an old paper somewhere at the john hopkins uh, right. lab and um yeah when it actually the danger comes nobody knows uh, what to do so right right in, in, uh, sorry Tyke, no no i just want to make a joke just like <laughs> the, the please, usual please, please make it now <laughs> it's like a hundred years from now when the asteroid uh will hit the earth they will find this old paper and they said hey did you know that a hundred years from now we actually found out that we would have been able to divert this asteroid good to know <laughs> i found it on reddit <laughs> space reddit as a stupid question at that point. I mean, Enrique, yes, never say never, of course. Um, it can always, there are always things we don't know. Um, but usually we have that knowledge in advance, decades, aren't we? Usually, yes. Like, but yeah, I mean, space is big and <laughs> you just have to make sure that you always look in the right direction and you, you know, you see what's coming. But, I mean, it could happen and there were some cases where asteroids really passing by the earth quite um at a quite a short distance and not always have they been aware of how close this actually was so it's really then also a matter of do we realize it's a danger like we know something is coming but do we realize that it can actually have impact on earth or not and this kind of things and then have being 100% sure decades in advance is probably, you know, it can be difficult still. I mean, I don't, uh, now we're back at AI. I don't want to go in too deep into that. I mean, it would be interesting to understand, to feed AI with the information that we have from the DART missions, uh, mission and the preparation needed in that time. And I would love to understand uh, what potentially AI, for example, says, how much time we actually need in a moment of crisis right so now i mean this was just a test but how many years do we actually need until we can get something off the earth maybe even just months or weeks i imagine that this is more or less something that we could do if necessary but i don't have the knowledge for that and i would love to understand what computers think of our abilities because just as you said sometimes you're not aware it's a human mistake uh, and this is definitely some field where i potentially could help us yeah, the, the question there is what kind of data you feed into this AI to train it. And with this one experiment that we have from the DART mission, it's it's probably not enough data to actually feed an AI to make better predictions than the one that, that we just did with this one asteroid. Um, I could imagine that they are already running a lot of simulations exactly with what how much explosives do we need if the asteroid has double of the double the size or double the speed or something like that or has a different tra trajectory or what is the the um, emergency plan if we only get one year of warning in advance how can we 
change the variables to somehow still get out of this um, without crash. Um, I mean, explosives were not involved, right? Um, just right, because right. you mentioned it sure. now, it yes. was just the impact and yeah. Yeah, maybe this is the answer to a question that was not asked yet. <laughs> no, Tarek, I agree with you that Dart mission alone is ju isn't just not enough to train uh, AI sophisticated or well enough to actually understand how long we need. However, fortunately, I mean, all of the different aspects of the Dart mission are things that we do on a very regular basis, right? Uh, flight paths through space um, are, are something that we calculate very often. Um, in also involving, um, I think, up to medium-sized objects. I mean, Mars would be probably the biggest that we actually... I mean, I don't know how Voyager was calculated. I'm pretty sure that, of course, this is data before our time now. Anyways, it doesn't matter. What I wanted to say is I think all of these several elements, and it would be interesting to uh, to know if, for example, NASA or, NASA or ESA, uh, or maybe even the Pentagon with its own space force, uh, which I think actually exists, not only in the show. I would love to know if they potentially are doing something right now. Because, I mean, obviously having an AI trained on the way humans work with elements in space, for lots of a lot of reasons, and not only for a uh, for real DART mission, um, well, I think would be very beneficial for us. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about uh, why I was talking about explosives, but this is probably because I saw this documentation, this interesting documentation with Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck about uh, how they this documentation. this <laughs> asteroid and safety. That was, a, that was a good one. Yeah. yeah, this was a great documentation. Yeah. <laughs> if our tech review is valuable for you, please give us feedback with a like or a comment. That would help us tremendously and it wouldn't cost you anything. And if you don't want to miss the next episode, just click on the subscribe button. And now, back to the news. <laughs> All right. And now, this. And now, this. This is me. Tarek, I, I really don't think we need uh, the, the animations and everything back. I think you're doing it uh, very well. It's the second week in a row now we don't have this. And I, I have to say, I, yeah, I, <laughs> now, I, the way you say it, it's perfect. So maybe <laughs> add back the overlay on the video. Don't add back the sound. I will try that. Although I must say, I I really start doubting the random generator actually exists. <laughs> I think we have the same order of articles for a few episodes now. I don't mind at all. I just like putting it out there. <laughs> um, I, I can explain this partially because the random generator was created for a uh, f for two weeks in a row. So it still generates a list of uh, six articles and those are randomly generated and it is a feature that this order is repeating itself for those two weeks so unless i refresh the browser between these two uh tech reviews that we are doing right now in a row <laughs> uh, it will be the same uh, order that we had in the in the past uh, tech review unless i i press refresh but i did not reprogram it to have like um each individual tech review. That's why right now we are on article number five instead of article number five. two. Yeah. 
don't get me wrong, I don't mind at all. But that can be then a nice surprise at one point because you can just keep it going for a while and I am get used to making the start. And then at one point you press the button and everything is random again. Surprise! <laughs> it's Chris! And then he appears out of nothing. <laughs> and now this. <laughs> and now this. All right, let's talk about something more positive, like remote work. <laughs> I read this uh, very interesting article from CNBC about Google CEO defending the desk sharing policy that they are introducing right now. And he talks about their offices are looking like ghost towns. And this is something that we can probably relate as people who are used to working in big offices and now since COVID uh, we are often working from home. And so the offices look way different than before. Google CEO Sundar Pichai defended uh, the cloud unit's new desk sharing policy for their employees. They are downsizing um, their office space and their, their efforts in this direction is called Cloud Office Evolution or CLOE. And Pichai says that the new policy is just uh, for, for now for these cloud employees. And uh, he added that the company is giving the teams the freedom to experiment in this direction. The cloud division uh, makes up roughly a quarter of the company's overall workforce. Google expects to incur costs of about $500 million in the current period related to reduced global office space because their office spaces are very expensive. One third of Google Cloud employees are coming into the offices at least four times a week. Uh, and during the, the meeting where this was discussed, Pichai addressed uh, employees' concerns regarding the rollout of the desk sharing policy and how it was communicated to the workforce. And uh, Nas Osman, uh, Google's Cloud Strategy and Operations Vice President, said that sharing led actually to more productivity and collaboration in this pilot project. So they they offer their employees two choices. They say, uh, you are free to work from home and we have a pool of, uh, of seats in, in uh, the office where you can then choose like freely when you come to the office or if you are someone who regularly comes to the office, you can choose to have your fixed um, space where you sit. And overall, they are trying to reduce their office spaces um, with this pool of flexible workspaces. And this is an experiment. And I think it's quite an interesting approach to mix this fixed seat policy and this flexible seat policy um, and trying to give everyone who whatever they want. Um, because usually I know this this feature where they say everything is remote, we don't have an office anymore. Uh, because it saves a lot of money, or the CEOs who say, please, everyone, come back to the office. We want to fill our seats because it's so sad seeing all these uh, these empty rows um, in the office. And um, basically, I was a little bit confused about uh, this article because in the beginning of this article, they said, when you go into this Google office, it's very sad because nobody's there. It's like a ghost town. But at the same time, they say, uh, there are so many people who come to the office four, time, four, four days a week. <coughs> And so uh, everything is fine. But it probably depends on where you work. If you have like a, like a department where everybody's working from home, then of course it's like a ghost town. And um, they probably are going to address this by compressing everyone and everyone who comes into the offices then like in one 
fixed workspace. Yeah. But these kind of dis discussions are going to happen now more and more where COVID is over and now technically everyone could go back to the office if they wanted to. Wait, Tyke, but so the, the, the message is you can work from home and then we have off we have space but not enough right but so you can basically different from reality <laughs> yeah i mean right now um where they had these this fixed office space everyone has their desk and if now like let's say 80% of the people decides to work from home 80% of the desks are empty this is a bad situation but instead of saying we have this global policy of reducing our complete workspace um to down to 30% or something th this would bring in the danger that if everyone wants to go to the office it's it's not enough space and so they have this flexible policy where they ask their people um, how they are planning to work and some say okay 20% from work uh, from home others say 80% from home and if they want to have like a fixed desk so if you want a fixed desk you can have a fixed desk and this sounds like a great idea for like a snapshot in time because then they can organize their offices in the perfect way uh, to have flexible desks wherever they need them what I think it's, it's dangerous is that if they now reduce their workspace to exactly this perfect situation workforce is also changing over time right so it might be that in five years from now there will be a big trend where everybody enjoys coming back to the office i mean it sounds like <laughs> improbable but we we don't know how like future employees uh, like this and then they are probably are forced to to grow again it's interesting to see um, that development. I, I, when I asked the question, I forgot how spoiled we are here at Arctic <laughs> because we already are working like that since 2020. Exactly, and yeah. All of our office buildings are built for, I think, the capacity of 64%. Um, so to us, actually, dear listeners, uh, this is a very normal reality. Um, besides that, um, I think what would be interesting to see is what now shared space companies are uh, doing with that. I think we work, um, I, I don't know how long this is ago, I think one year ago I read how successfully we work actually uh, survived during the pandemic. A lot of people thought this is the time when we work is crashing and a lot of other companies like that are crashing. Um, because nobody goes to the office anymore, right? Right. But now we see exactly that, and I think um, the the offer of those companies is getting more and more attractive now. Because when you book, say, with WeWork, your office space, and I mean this can be any company. It's we're not sponsored by WeWork in any way. <laughs> um, but if you um, book your space, your, your permanent space with WeWork, right, and you are flexible with this, say on a very small um, time frame. Uh, say a year or maybe two years. Uh, exactly what you're saying now, Tarek, or what you're bringing up as an argument is, I agree with you, um, is is not as critical anymore because every two years you can change the amount of seats, uh, drastically up, drastically down, maybe in a margin, whatever. Um, and I think therefore um, the offering of sp uh, shared spaces, uh, managed spaces, but B2B, um, it's always B2B, but I'm saying B2, big B. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think this is getting more and more attractive uh, for companies these days and in, even in the future. Yeah. And I think 
it's always important to look at the details because from the, from the larger point of view, it's easily said sounds good and perfect for everyone. But the details are, are the crucial ones. And as you said, in our office building, we have something similar and it sounds great. But especially, for example, this, this regulation of if you want to have a fixed desk, you can have it. This is something that, that we don't have, uh, or at least not for like regular employees if you don't have like a special function. But some employees, they still live this way. They have all their stuff on their desk and nobody removes it. So de facto, they claim this desk, even though it's not supposed to be claimed. Right? It's the survival uh, of the fittest. This is yeah, I mean, this is called. like a self-regulating system. And uh, the same thing, we all are happy that we are paying less rent because we only have 64% of uh, the desks provided. But then some teams decide, okay, now Wednesday is the the office day and everyone has to come to the office, which is a problem if we only have 64% of desks available and people come to the office but can't sit with their colleagues because there's not enough space. So these detailed questions are the ones that are then the, the hard ones to be answered, even though in theory everything so sounds great. And I'm not sure if there is a perfect solution unless you, yeah, no, I, I have no answer for that. But I mean, did it actually, we now live in this kind of scenario for a while. And I think the amount of people in the offices now that COVID is officially or inofficially over, um, this is probably the busiest our office building will will be or will remain. And I never, I, we never had the situation, I've never heard of a situation where a team decided, okay, we have our team day on Wednesday, we all come to the office and they couldn't sit together because it always, you know, worked out because others won't come to the office that day or not regularly. And so it always worked for everyone. So I... Yeah, this it is a potential, you know, risk. But I mean, from our experience here, at least, it it wasn't really um, a problem in practice up until now. Yeah, you're totally right. It's probably for now a hypothetical problem that in theory it can crash, but in reality it won't. But only with these quotas that we are working with right now. So so we said something like 64% is the current quota. This was, I think, even decided before COVID when we talked about flexible yes. office space. Right yeah. now we have a new situation where, let's say, 70% of people actually decided to work from home. But this means if we are following the the example of Google and creating like new guidelines and we actually uh, sell office space because we don't need it anymore this could mean that we say the new quota is 30 percent so we are reducing the number of desks to the new reality of having 30 percent of people at the office and then we are again in a situation where this hypothetical problem problem mm. can more quickly become a real problem because yeah. it's it's then again optimized for the current workforce but doesn't make sense to talk in too much uh, hypotheticals. Uh, for now, let's just observe how uh, the, the big companies are dealing with this. But it is true in the past, it was never this big question of um, if we can afford office space because we needed office space. But now we can actually talk about saving millions and billions of dollars for office space because nobody is using uh, Nobody, like only few people are using it. And so it's really, really painful to pay all this money for empty rooms. 
I mean, if we only look at this call, I mean, 60% of us. <laughs> <laughs> right about 65% of us is sitting at the office. <laughs> Even above quota, 66%. Right, right. right? Look at us. <laughs> not bad, not bad. And now, this. And now, this. <laughs> uh, yeah, also another very interesting article I brought uh, this time about Twitter and uh, Elon Musk. And um, the interesting case here is that Elon Musk, in his endeavor to save money wherever possible, is, uh, as I already think I brought a few weeks ago already, and we discussed it also in length, at length several times, is cutting bids wherever possible. The mantra here, his right hand currently is telling that to every Twitter employee, um, the mantra is everything is negotiable, which might be true uh, when we look at this case, but it really depends on who are you, you are negotiating with, and it really depends on how big the other person, the other player is because Elon currently is in fight with um, Amazon and was with Google, but realized that Google might be a big, too a, a big a fish too big for him. Um, so what happened? Uh, my, Twitter has an AWS deal uh, where they actually wanted to um, transfer their Twitter timeline on. Um, they didn't do that, so they ended up using le much less. AWS space than anticipated. Um, now, AWS deals are very specific in the way they are constructed, but basically Twitter committed to an amount of money they have to spend in an amount of time. Um, in the end, this is not completely the reality. There also is a quota on how much you use and that you pay. Um, but all in all, the message is Twitter didn't, it is, did not pay its Amazon bill for AWS. This is now being taken, taken that far that actually Amazon is threatening Twitter not to pay their advertising bill, which would be a much bigger lot for, a loss for Twitter than for Amazon because Amazon is making, I think, roughly around 500 million with Twitter over a period of time. Advertising alone per year, I think, is 1 billion on Twitter. Um, the same game, Elon Musk tried to play with Google, um, but because Google is such a big player for uh, Twitter in advertising, in data, because Google also pays Twitter for its data so that tweets are findable via Google search, um, it is much more delic delicate to, to negotiate with them. And now a Twitter insider, insider ex-Twitter insider stepped forward and actually uh, told the information uh, that Elon Musk also tried to renegotiate with Google, but Google simply declined renegotiating a deal they had, um, more or less knowing that there is no way around Google for Twitter. Um, however, it just shows how they are cutting corners everywhere. And the question is, uh, everything is negotiable, negotiable, yes, but are there maybe just players or fields you cannot play? I don't know. Maybe there are two big. Uh, let me just look if I forgot anything. <laughs> I, I wrote down. <laughs> um, no, this is the, the core of it. So they're actually also playing with the big boys uh, and trying to cut costs there. But Google um, it looks like Google is the line. Uh, Google is too big for Twitter uh, to mess with them. But Amazon might be. It's so scary to see how 
uh, people on this scale are playing this game of let's see what happens if we don't pay our bill. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's it sounds so Elon Musk. Everything is negotiable. Sure. I mean, maybe he will win. But uh, as you said, if if I mean, it sounds so short-sighted. If um, AWS, if if Amazon actually has, oh no, no, Google. You said Google with the advertising, uh, advertising. They have such a bigger leverage. Um, what are they thinking? It, it, no, so I think the the bet here is that both of them are not only providers and advertisers. Both of them are cloud providers. So yeah. I think what what Elon Musk currently is thinking about is that well, the services we are using on AWS are so small that potentially we could transfer everything to Google so we can mess this up because AWS knows we might lose them as a customer. Also, AWS, now going into the details, is usually open for renegotiation because most of the AWS deals are constructed in this specific way. So you have a more or less committed on amount of money you want to spend on a specific time frame. This, however, is more bound by something like uh, LOI and not bound by a contract because the core contract is committing you to pay obviously what you are using based on a certain amount of money um, and time frame again however in the end you try to it's more of a okay we are expecting you to pay that much so we're giving you specific conditions in the past Amazon showed or AWS showed that they are open to renegotiate those those terms but they did not renegotiate with with Twitter and Musk yet. Mm. Why? The answer for that put, might be, and it is, I think it is, that Twitter, uh, uh, that uh, AWS knows exactly that technically what they're, what Twitter is using of their services is something that they could also find at mm. say Google or even Microsoft. So or Oracle, but you know, forget about them in the cloud <laughs> game. They're that small. However. Um, so they're not really incentivized to actually negotiate with uh, with Twitter in that term. However, they have a much bigger stick on their own, which is that they're advertising a lot on Twitter. So I think right now, the time off in Germany would say Zuckerbrot und Peitsche. Um, <laughs> the, the, the time between incentivizing and in... Uh, enforcing is right now the clock is ticking more in direction of enforcing because uh, the 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 upside of winning Twitter as a as a client is not as big in ju as just threatening uh, in 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 actual commitments they have made in the past. For Google, it's different. I'm sorry, it's a very non-monologue, but I, I really get heated up when I I really got heated up, and I am still when I read this and talk about it. For Google, it's different, right? Google is such a big player for Twitter that Google knows exactly that Musk and Twitter cannot mess around with their relationship, um, which therefore puts them into the position when Elon Musk knocked at the door of Google's asking for a negotiation, just decline because they know exactly they have a contract. There's no way of getting out of it because they know damn well how much Google, uh, Twitter is actually using the services of Google and the other way around. They know that this is a relationship that is provable a contract and therefore uh, they know exactly that there's no need for Twitter to renegotiate um, or for Google against Twitter. And the same problem Musk has because he 
realized, and I think he knew before, he just tried it just for fun, uh, or not just for fun, but for a chance, if you want to call it that. Um, it, it, Musk knows this damn well, which is why he did not mess any further with the relationship that he had with Google. Um, yeah, and we'll see where it goes. But I think that um, right now it's still working out when we think about, for example, the rent thing that we discussed a few weeks ago where Elon Musk is not paying rent, but the companies owning the buildings cannot face a lawsuit that goes that long, so they renegotiate the rent. And I think right now it's working out. I'm really curious to see where it goes. I think that the latest when Musk knocks on the door of Apple to renegotiate potentially uh, tra traffic and uh, financiation that comes via iOS. Twitter is an iOS app, as we all know. Um, is uh, I, I think latest there, uh, he will step on toes that are just too big. And we'll see where it goes. Right. Have, yeah. you, have you guys heard, uh, just as a side note, but it, it perfectly fits to that, that also Slack was down at Twitter? Because I... I'm not sure if it was because also they delayed paying and stuff. I or if I just dreamed that now <laughs> that this is about uh, paying bills or not paying bills. Um, but uh, yeah, just if you guys have heard something. I, I heard of that. I am not sure if this is connected with um, the paying. However, for example, Salesforce is also one of the parties on the list that have not been paid by Twitter according to their agreement. And Slack and Salesforce are one. So um, I, I, I saw the article. I didn't read it yet. Now I'm, I'm, I should have. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it happened today, I think, in the morning. Yeah, once again, I ask myself if this is a brilliant businessman or if Elon Musk is still in the process of running Twitter into the ground. <laughs> and with this being said, thanks for all of your great contributions and see you next week. Bye. Bye. If you are hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, we here at Tech Review want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We hope this new episode was valuable for you. And if it was, please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Share this episode with others who could also like it. Do you have a topic that you'd like to see covered in future episodes? Don't hesitate to tell us in the comments or on social media. We hope you'll be back for the next episode.